0: Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences, and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Jakob Plesner. Jakob, thank you so much for joining this episode of Cassie and. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you are in Denmark right now. And I just have a few things to say. First of all, ja yesgodai. Secondly, ja <laughs> shanadai. Those are a few of the Danish phrases that I know. So how did I do, Jakob? I, I've, I was taught those phrases about 20 years ago. They're kind of seared into my brain. So give me a grade, please. I, well, I would that's love that. Perf-
1: that's a perfect grade. Uh, it was perfect Danish, actually. There was no problems whatsoever. So perfect pronunciation of I love you and I miss you uh, in Danish. So huge uh, congrats here from Denmark.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. My my flatmate, Gita, would be so proud of me. I'll have to let her know about it. So she taught me some other unsavory phrases that I'm not going to be able to say, but I thought those were safe for this podcast episode. Fair so, enough.
1: They were perfect.
0: Well, thank you. Now, Jakob, you and I met, It's I met so many of my guests on LinkedIn, and it was because we both have a love of metadata, and we both have a love of IP. Now, I Dabbled in IP early in my career, but then moved on to e-discovery. But you are firmly, you are IP attorney. You're very focused on copyrights. Can you give the audience a little bit of a background about your practice, Jakob?
1: Of course. And first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I have to give you a big compliment here from Denmark. I think you're doing an amazing job conveying, as you say, new technology with the law, and it has resonated here in, in Europe and all, to, all the way to a little country like Denmark on the other side of the Atlantic. So uh, huge compliment here from, uh, from Denmark.
0: I'm blushing. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Maybe one day I'll, I'll finally make it to Copenhagen and we can meet in person. So.
1: Let's do. But as you say, I'm a lawyer specialized in, in IP and new technology and the intersection between new technology and, and IP. And I also am the secretary for the Danish Copyright Society and also host a Danish podcast called Entertainment Law. And I think with everything that's happening with tech at the moment, especially led by AI, of course, it's definitely uh, exciting times uh, right now, uh, what's going on. And The love for data, of course, the love for new technology and IP rights. I have met recently a number of interesting profiles on on LinkedIn because this is happening all over the world at the same time. And all lawyers and all professionals in this area are facing the same legal uh, problems and how are the, are the technology working? What should we do about it? So it would be interesting to, as you say, normally delve into this as AI would say. Uh, <laughs> yes. I know that's one of your favorite words. Um, it is. So it is. And <laughs> um, so that'll that be good to discuss.
0: Yeah, and I wanna, we'll definitely dig most of our time on AI, but I do wanna go back to what brought us together. And it really was, that love of metadata and and copyrights. And I work with metadata all the time because of my practice in e-discovery. Data data integrity is very important. And I didn't realize until this past year that metadata has a very important role in copyrights, in particular in disbursement of music royalties. Isn't that correct?
1: Yes, uh, I've been working a lot with metadata, especially for uh, the music industry, because when you use copyrights, uh, one of the, the main elements is that is mass exploitation. Uh, you don't use one music track, you often use hundreds uh, thousands of tracks or a little bit of one track. If you look at, for example, Spotify, I think there is on a daily basis it's over 100,000 I think it's 120,000 new tracks per day which are uploaded to Spotify and it's obviously that it's impossible for a human to keep an overview of handling these data and you have to keep track of it by using existing metadata but also creating new metadata you have to make the data you already have more intelligent you have to give it an extra layer through metadata. That's the only way uh, to keep uh, an overview of uh, what data is being used and how you uh, make sure that uh, the money flows to the right uh, right holders. For example, here in, in Denmark, we've been using an AI engine for a long time, also prior to ChatGPT's launch and everything <laughs> like that, uh, to keep track and updating music data. I can give you an example normally and I think many of them still do, when TV station reported the use of music, they did it by hand and they did it in Excel sheets. And a lot of mistakes can happen. It's a slowly very slow process, a lot of data, hundreds of thousands of tracks. And if you don't know, for example, the name of an artist, it's quite easy to write, for example, the artist's name, unknown artist. Because obviously say it's an unknown artist. Here in Denmark, the problem is that unknown artist is one of the most popular bands in Denmark. It's called Hukend Kunstner, unknown artist. So suddenly that band, we could say, okay, it's a popular band, but it's just off the charts in popularity. And that was simply because they were writing unknown artists, both when it was that band and when, when it wasn't, it couldn't detect what it was. So our system in this regard is becoming uh, intelligent by each learning. So now it knows when it's unknown artists, the band, when it's unknown artists we don't know, and the system is come becoming more and more intelligent. So we use that to ensure accuracy, And to make sure that we can monitor when the data is being used, the music is being used. So that's just an example for the music industry, but it's simply key to monitor the use, to collect payment, to license your content and to negotiate, of course, also with opponents saying, okay, what data is being used, what right holders are on that music. And I think we will see the same know, I can't stop talking about AI. Uh, So (laughs) I think we can uh, roll
0: into it, Jakob.
1: Yeah, uh, (laughs) I think we will. Uh, I think when we talk about AI, uh, one of the key issues is, of course, the scraping of the internet. One question is, is it legal or not? But if you want to license it, at least, it's crucial to know which data have been used and metadata will play a key in that to make sure you can monitor if you've been scraped to keep track of your data you have to have control of your data and metadata is key that's together with blockchain we can come back to that so all those features that that we already have with metadata with blockchain technology i think we can really use them when we need to license uh, rights to ai systems
0: and I think that your comment earlier about metadata not always being right and you have to clean it up and correct it because yes. it does have a financial impact in, in the use case of, of copyright royalty disbursements. I think that that's a really important. Point to make because going to AI, we often say garbage in, garbage out. The quality of what is used to train it will impact the output. So mm. if it's kind of junky, you're going to probably have junky results. And I think that really echoes back to, at its most basic, just metadata. And we often think of data as this pure, pristine, perfect thing. But there's always a point of origin that comes from an automated system, or a human, and there is the potential for error. And what are we doing to validate those results? And, and we're not even talking about output phase, we're just talking about, are the actual data points accurate? And that's that's a very tedious job that people don't necessarily want to do, but it's incredibly important. And I think we're going to see that issue expanded out and being a much bigger issue as we deal with AI systems and maybe curated data sets that are used to train models do you think that that's going to be a continued trend as ai starts affecting so many different legal issues and business issues too
1: i think definitely it will be a trend because uh, the good thing one of the good things and many good things with ai is the ability to handle vast number of data. And for example, with copyrights, that's exactly what you're dealing with. You have vast number of data. And if we, we come back to whether or not it's legal what AI is doing, but if we use AI as a tool for metadata, you have the potential to, for example, with make metadata intelligent because you can verify some data with, uh, for example, if you have music, when a track is played on, Apple or Spotify or other engines, and if it's last Christmas and all engines say, well, that is Wham, and it's owned by, I don't recall the label's name, let's just say it's uh, universal, for example. The more uh, points you have for confirmation of that data, uh, then you can say, okay, with 80 or 90% uh, 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 certainty, we can say that this track. It belongs to Universal and WAM because all the big engines out there say and confirm that this is the case. So you have the potential to make use of existing data points and to make your data more intelligent. And uh, and then sometimes of course you have to manually look into the data and make some detective work. But then it's a one off one time off because as soon as you have done that, it will recall it. And it will become more and more intelligent and learn it. Uh, so I think in that way, it's been not something we've been discussing much in the legal debate about uh, about AI. I think it's been overlooked. It is also a potential tool for right holders to to use, to monitor and license their content.
0: Well, and you're, that whole explanation really has my brain thinking because some things that I often do is help with data breach investigations. And in data breach investigations, you actually have to analyze the data that's been potentially impacted by the threat actors and find all the individuals and the PII or PHI data points that have been impacted to determine what sort of notice, who should get a notice and what should be in that notice. And there's always a point in that process. That's the most painful, tedious point of there are 15 people with the name Jakob Plassner, Plassner. And how do we know they're all the same person? And you do have to look at those other data points to validate. And I could see AI being a great tool for something like that, but I don't want, I don't want to get distracted by data breach. Let's go back. Let's go back to AI. I just had a moment. IP has had a moment with AI, don't you think? I mean, I see it as way more transformative, and transformative gets used a lot. But to me, being a Gen Xer, I remember the good old Napster disputes, things like that. And I feel like this, this generative AI discussion is so much more transformative for copyrights in particular than what we've seen in a long time with IPs. And I don't think it's ending anytime soon. Generative AI is just the beginning. I think it's really going to cause some ripples. So how well prepared do you think copyright attorneys are or just the broader legal community is for this transformative change?
1: Well, I think Compared to the situation with Napster and streaming and, and download and, and new technology, that hit some some sectors, especially in the entertainment industry with music at the forefront, but also with the film industry. But now we're seeing AI hitting all sectors. At the same time, whether you are a writer, translator, a musician, all sectors, all companies are, are hit by this AI wave. And it's fair to say, I think, it caught everybody off guard. When ChatGPT launched a bit more than a year ago, nobody realized what was coming. I think even many of the big tech companies, the competitors to OpenAI and Microsoft, they were surprised about how good it was. Perhaps someone even in OpenAI, what you're hearing with rumors, were surprised how good it was. So everybody is caught off guard, not only copyright attorneys, but but everybody and so that's of course make it it interesting i don't think that the law necessary is is caught uh, off guard because many of the existing systems we come back to that somewhere somewhat prepared for this uh, but the interesting thing is that the whole ai creation whether it's the output what is created by ai and the humans using ai as an assistant or the input the scraping of the internet, the training of the internet, the memorization perhaps of data is all based on IP because copyright material is text, it's pictures, movies. That's the fuel for AI. You cannot tr- train it on, without these data and the output, whether or not it's protected, it's also a, a-, a- IP. So All of the content that AI is using and is putting out, that's IP-based. So it's definitely interesting. Then you have other issues, of course, with privacy, personal data. I don't think we go into that today, but many of the issues are the same. So therefore, it is so important that we use our basic knowledge from IP, especially copyright, to understand how these models work. And of course, to make a strategy when you use AI, for example, in a company that from the beginning, it's legal how to use AI. For example, if you're a company using AI, there is a lot of wrong things that you can do. On the other hand, there's also a lot of good use cases, as we just discussed with the metadata that you can do. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of main legal questions we can discuss.
0: Well... I also see there's a lot of issues, especially in the context of copyright, where it leaves the room for a gray area. It's, it's fact-dependent, which means oftentimes that's something that's going to have to potentially get resolved in litigation, which can be cost prohibitive. I could see someone using a defense if they're being sued for copyright infringement. Generative AI may not even be an issue but they could say, oh, that's not even something that should be copyright protected. It should be it 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 was created by generative AI. That's my defense. And so it nearly puts a burden on artists and creators of tracking your process to create your piece of art to be able to validate that it was created by you, especially if you're a digital artists, you're creating artwork in a digital medium. So is that something that you're seeing some of your clients kind of thinking about?
1: Of course, there are a number of issues popping up and it all depends on who is involved. If you are a company, using AI systems, that's of course the vast majority, then there are certain legal issues you have to be aware of if you are right holders, and most of us are actually right holders just if we put text on the LinkedIn, for example, or on the internet, then there's a different issue, perhaps more on the line. What with the question you raised there. And then there's, of course, the big issue, which there is a number of lawsuits pending currently, and that is the AI engines themselves, whether or not they are responsible. But there's only a few still of these companies. So a lot of different issues. I would say what I've stumbled upon is, and I think most attorneys working with this, three key issues relating to AI and the legal issues. Sorry. First of all is, of course, whether or not what we call scraping and training of these engines are legal. Is it fair use in the U.S.? Are there any exemptions in Europe, for example, text and data mining? There are a lot of lawsuits U.S.-led. We can come back to that. There's probably a good reason for that. But there's no European cases right now concerning that issue. Then there is a second question, which I find very interesting and perhaps one of the most essential questions. And that's whether or not memorization is legal. And just so everybody is up to page on what that is, when you train and fine tune these AI language models, they have some kind of behavior that resembles memorization. If you give it the right prompt, then it can reproduce all of or at least very extensive part of the materials that it was trained upon. And in the beginning, I think the main story about AI engines was they were trained as a one-time off and then they couldn't recall the material, they didn't store it, uh, they didn't copy it. It, it simply didn't work that way. And now we're seeing cases where this memorization issue is, is raised and that gives rise to a number of other issues. Is there a continuous uh, copying? Is there a storage? Is memorization a legal storage in copyright sense? That will require permission, uh, perhaps. Um, then a third issue is, of course, whether outputs, as you mentioned, uh, from AI systems can be protected by copyright. There are a number of cases for from the copyright office in the US and the courts also. I think it's easy to see the trend because they're all declining, the copyright protection. And we haven't seen any in Europe so far. I don't know whether it's calm before the storm. They might be coming. I think they will be coming soon, but we haven't seen any trends there. And yep, there's a lot of, of course, additional questions. For example, we've seen in the US that if you have used AI as an assistant to generate work uh, which isn't protected, then even though you have used only a minor bit of AI in generating that work, then they have still the authorities refused protection. But if you use that argumentation in a larger context, then for example, if you have an employee and he or she has been using ChatGPT to write some code because it's easy to do, and you put that into a larger project with protected code, then you perhaps risk contaminating the whole projects so it will become worthless and free of copyrights that will be a disaster of course for the said company and that raises a lot of different issues about awareness of uh, the use of these systems so there yeah, are a lot of
0: there stuff. are there are yeah I, and i think you know as people kind of dabble with it and play with it just being aware of if you're if you're concerned about the creation the things you create and being able to claim copyright protection of those things, like be mindful of, this is something I may not be able to claim copyright protection of. So I definitely want to not use generative AI in this context. But I want to go back to the topic of memorization. And I, I think that What's very challenging to all of this about generative AI is it is not a static tool. It is a tool that is constantly changing, that is constantly getting tweaked either because of updates or things are just evolving because people are playing with it more and figuring out how to, maybe for lack of a better term, hack, hack the model, right? Because that's in essence what maybe that memorization is. It's a hack. It, it's catching something in the model that maybe it wasn't intended to do. But it's a constant updating, f- flowing thing. And that, I think, makes it even more challenging in a lot of ways, because if you're dealing with a complex area of law and you're dealing with complex technical issues, and you have to be able to understand both and being able be able to synthesize that and communicate it to people, so I think that that's just a huge challenge for the legal community to have those people that have that skill set knowing this is going to be constantly evolving. You probably feel that more intimately than other people because you are at that intersection. Jakob, how do you deal with that?
1: I always say, uh, both in my advice to clients and in the podcast, and yeah, everywhere I go, that it is essential that you understand how this technology works. It is essential and you have to keep it simple. You have to understand it so well that you can explain it uh, very easily uh, to people because if you don't understand it, you will never be able to give advice on it. You will never be able to license it. You will never be able to look out how you should use it strategically as a tool. So there is a lot of work for for lawyers in simply understanding uh, the systems. And the only way you can do it is actually just also working with them. I'm surprised sometimes when I hear attorneys working with this that they haven't used ChatGPT or at least they haven't used the payment model because then you have to have a subscription. But you have to have it because you have to mm. use it. You have to know how mid-journey works, how Discord works, and those systems, that's the only way. And that's also why, as I said in the beginning, I think you're doing a terrific work in this area because with your newsletter and a big compliment for that as well, uh, you're good at keeping it simple in a good sense because you can explain how it works without all those unnecessary technical details. Because if it was a court case or a license agreement, those technical details wouldn't be the essential thing. The essential would be, how does it actually work? How can you explain how it works? Then you can license it. Uh, So um, I think that's um, key in all of this. And uh, we have a lot of work to do. And I can clearly recommend uh, people to, as we have done, look on LinkedIn, for example. There's a lot of attorneys, professional IP experts and tech experts just on a daily basis explaining what is happening right now. There's a lot of good podcasts. Your course and also other podcasts. And yours. uh, Yes, Danish. (laughs) So I think for the. It's a little
0: hard. Yeah. It's a little hard. I think we. we, You could use AI to translate it to English,
1: right? We did. Did did you not like it? And no, we we tried with 11 labs and it was funny, but I had a, a Scottish accent and we, it was good in the beginning, uh, but it, yeah, I think we're not quite there yet. Uh, and uh, uh, some of the more normal Danish words that were translated in a very funny way to uh, to English, but we're looking at getting them translated. It will, of course, with the technology, I think in a year or so,
0: all the episodes,
1: it will catch up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I you know I think that getting on LinkedIn, there's a lot of as you said, a lot of really good people out there sharing a lot of really good information. Yeah. And I think anyone who feels overwhelmed, don't let that be an impediment. We all feel overwhelmed every day. I, I, it, it's it's actually kind of nice and it's very humbling to feel like oh I don't understand any of this or this it seems too technical. You'll get enough. I also think not. Feeling inhibited in joining conversations about it, even if you don't know everything. And I think that's the hardest thing for attorneys. You know, we we've we spent many years focused on having an area of specialty or, or knowing something really well, and when we get exposed to something we don't know really well, and have to kind of be at square one it can be very hard <laughs> but it's really really important i think because this technology is only this is only the beginning in in 5 years we'll think what we're talking about now is just very simplistic and and primitive i think that encouraging people again to just get in and play like you said you have you have to play around with it to really understand it and relate to it <clears throat> excuse me relate to it and yep. be able to talk to your clients about it, because it is, as you said, it's affecting so many areas of content beyond streaming music that we saw in the nineties, but it's also affecting so many other areas beyond copyright. It's affecting everything. So just getting in there and learning it, I think is really important. One thing I do want to get into here at the end, a, a topic that still, I think, I feel very strongly about is blockchain technology. Now, blockchain kind of fell to the background a little bit, but I feel that blockchain and generative eye have like a very yin-yang relationship. There's a potential there where both have their strengths and their weaknesses, and they can complement each other in those strengths and weaknesses, where There's a potential of a blockchain to be used to track provenance and help with things like license payments or to track counterfeiting. So do you see that as a potential answer or do you think that that's a bit of a mirage out there for us?
1: No, no, no. As uh, I think it was Mark Twain said, that the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. I think that goes with both <laughs> blockchain and also the metaverse. I know that's a mm-hmm. word we don't use much because it's been, yeah, uh, people don't like that anymore. But I think blockchain will play a great role both in, Web three, the immersive internet or the metaverse, what you would like to call it, and also with AI because data with AI is few for AI. And the only way, of keeping track of uh, those data, which is essential, uh, is not the only way, but a very uh, obvious way is with blockchain, because then you can control your data, you can see how it flows. So it's it's obvious to do it. Just the same way with uh, the immersive internet, that blockchain, NFTs, another word that's been very high, but still the technology is there and it works. If you don't use it as an investment tool, but see it as a building block, for the metaverse. It's a fantastic way for right holders to license legal content uh, and to make a distinction between what is legal and what is uh, is not. And of course, we are seeing it's perhaps a bit due to uh, the hype of AI that we don't pay as much attention to what's happening with uh, the immersive internet and with three but with apple's new glasses what's happening with the meta's uh, glasses and also augmented reality there is a huge development there which has the potential to be just as interesting uh, as ai and if you combine ai you combine web3 and then use metaverse uh, not metaverse sorry with, with blockchain as the building blocks to license the content well, then you had three of my favorite subjects combined. Mine too. Could be better.
0: (laughs) You know, I I do think that we get very hyper-focused on one thing or another. We had it with Metaverse. We're having it with AI. And I, I think that's a function of how AI is used in social media we're we're being served content at the end of the day by an algorithm that's serving up things that everyone wants so it's just by virtue of it's a creation a monster of its own creation in a way uh, but I agree there there are people building in the background whether it's digital twins whether it's um you know the AR I feel like augmented reality is going to be huge in 2024 and and I think it's going to be driven by fashion i think it's going to be driven by you know artists as well but but i i and maybe even sports we saw that a little bit in 2023 with sports so i i think 2024 is going to be a very interesting one as they all will they'll they'll continue to be we are really kind of at the end Jakob. i would love to hear what are you most excited about going into 2024
1: well, it's just the potential uh, of these technologies. As you said, it's not just about AI. AI is, of course, the center of attention right now, but it's all those technologies that have been out there for a while, and then we are going to see now, I think in uh, in this year, many of these technologies, uh, the potential is going to unfold, and then it's just exciting, of course, as an attorney, which has a huge interest for technology, and also for IP and the law, and to follow all these cases, what is happening? New law, the AI Act. We also have the executive order, of course, uh, in the US from the White House. But all those new things developing is going to be fascinating. And as a user of the technology, at the same time, well, it's just fantastic news. Uh, so uh, it's definitely for someone interested in tech and law. It's just fantastic, interesting times. Couldn't be what better. What a
0: time to what a time to be alive. So exactly. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you, Jakob, for, for joining me um, on this podcast episode. I've learned so much from you. I uh, love always chatting with you. And I just want to, you know, break out my Danish skills again. Yael ja, die and Yassana ja, die. So <laughs> thank you again. And I know my audience is probably learned as much or more than I have from this episode. And for everyone joining, I hope you join us for the next episode of Cassie and...